So, uh, I don't know if you've heard the story about the New York City lawyer who was uh, speeding in South Georgia County. He got pulled over by a deputy. And uh, he got pulled over because he ran through a stop sign. Now, I don't know if you I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands if you've ever rolled through a stop sign because there's three stop signs in, in Scrubbing County I haven't stopped at yet. Okay, I'm just, just telling you. And they're all in this neighborhood over here. All right, so one day I'm going to have to call in a favor. But until then, until then, and so he's caught by this deputy sees him and pulls him over. And this New York City lawyer, he's so much smarter than any hit deputy, right? So he's going to prove a point, and he's going to have some fun with this guy. Because even though he knows he's dead to rights, he knows what he did, he knows it was wrong, so the police officer walks up and says, License registration, please. The guy says, Why did I do wrong? He says, You didn't come to a complete stop at the stop sign. License registration, please. Well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is the law says you have to come to a complete stop License and registration, please. To which the lawyer said, but I slowed down. Nobody was coming. No one was hurt. There was no harm. So why don't I get a ticket? To which the deputy said, he's getting a little irritated because the law says when you come to a stop sign, you have to come to a complete stop. You didn't come to a complete stop. License and registration, please. So this goes on for a while. So finally the lawyer says, hey, look, I'll tell you what. Let's, you like games? The guy says, I like games. And says, let's play a game. If you can show me the legal difference in stopping and slowing down, not only will I give you a ticket, I will pay triple the amount in court. To which the deputy says, done. I'll take that. He says, all right. And he says, would you please get out of the car? So he goes, sure. He gets out of the car. And he says, would you stand against the car? And, just, and he does. He pulls out his nightstick and he starts to beat him with it. And he says, I'll tell you what, do you want me to stop or do you want me to slow down? <laughs> you see, we know that there's a difference in stopping and slowing down. And if ever you've tried to have that argument with a policeman at a stop sign, you know the difference in the law and what we want the law to be. Because what we want to do is we want to be in the law to our circumstances. I've got a, uh, I know a guy who's always complaining about police officers and he always says, you know, if they were out chasing real criminals, you know, they would, and not worried about speeders, to which I always say, if you slow down, they could chase real criminals. You know, because what we want to do is we want to kind of manipulate the law to fit our circumstances. And sometimes, when it comes to our view of God, we want to manipulate our view of God dependent on our circumstances. Sometimes we need God to be something to us, we think we do, that the Bible doesn't identify Him to be. Sometimes we have these misconceptions about who God is. And so we've been talking about that for the past few weeks, this, this idea of discovering who God is. And, and in the Bible, there's 19 names given for God. Um, one of those is His given name. The other are descriptive names. We've talked about a few of them the past few weeks. We're going to finish this series today. We've talked about that He has a given name. We've talked about a name. The name Abba is a deeply personal name. It, it, it tells us that God wants to have a personal relationship with with us. He does it not from afar, a deeply personal relationship. We understand that, that He is the God who provides. Um, he's the one who sees everything. He's the one who's all-sufficient. And, and the thing we need to understand about God is whenever we need whatever we need, He provides exactly that. Nothing less and never anything more. Sometimes we get so caught up in 
our needs that we we just well I need this and God gives us what we need but we kind of start arguing with God because it's not what we think that we need and so today we're going to close this series out we're going to talk look at one more picture of who God is the Bible identifies him as Yahweh Rapha who is the God who heals now we are introduced to the God who heals in the book of Exodus so let me tell you what's going on uh, before we get started so the Israelites have spent 450 years in, in Egypt. They spent most of them in slavery. They're now free because God sent 10 plagues and decimated Egypt. He decimated them economically. He decimated their army. He decimated their government. I mean, He decimated Egypt. Egypt would never be the world power that it was at that point in time. At that point in time, they were the most powerful country on the planet. And God said, not anymore. And they never recovered from it. To this day, Egypt has never recovered from what God did to them way back in the day when He sent ten plagues. And so then, the Israelites leave. Two million. The Egyptian army chases them into the desert. The people start moaning and groaning about God. We'd be better off going back and being slaves. Because that's all they know. But God delivers them, splits the Red Sea. Not the Sea of Reeds, not a lake, not a pond. The Red Sea. We'll talk about that one of these days. And he splits the Red Sea, and the Israelites walk across. The army of the Egyptians chase them. He closes the waters in and destroys their army. So the Israelites have seen God deliver them from Egypt. They've seen God fight battles for them. They saw God split an ocean. But they still are a tad on the fickle side. So in Exodus chapter 15... Uh, beginning in verse 22, we are just days removed from the, from the parting of the Red Sea. We're just, I mean, just days. They camp for a couple of days and then they go wandering for three days. And that's where we're going to pick the story up. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea and they moved out into the desert of Sur, which, by the way, if you were here last week, same place Hagar went to to die. Same place. They always end up in the same place. They travel in the desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink, so they called the place Marah, which means bitter. By the way, if you know if that seems familiar to you, then you know that comes from we you get that from Ruth when Ruth is supposed to go back and Naomi's going to go back and she changed her name to Marah because God's been bitter to her and her life is bitter. Well, that's where this comes from. Okay, so it's there's all these connections to to these things we see in the Bible just through here. Verse twenty four. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. Because that's what they did. Moses, all he's done is deliver them from slavery, escorted them across the Red Sea, and now they're going to turn on him. Right? What are we going to drink? They demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the wood good. To, the water, excuse me, good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test your faithfulness. In other words, God came to a point where He says, "I'm getting a little tired of this." I'm getting a little tired of this game we're playing. And would play out over the next 40 years. So here's what I'm saying. So y'all hear what I'm saying, okay? So this is the Lord speaking through Moses. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, which is Yahweh Elohim, which by the way, just for perspective's sake, is exactly how God will identify Himself to, to Moses in Exodus chapter 20 when He gives him the, the Ten Commandments. This is the, another name for God. This is when he says, I'm the Almighty Creator. That's what this means. 
If you'll listen to the Almighty Creator, that's what he's saying, and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all of his decrees, then, then, if you'll do what I said, if you'll obey, if you'll follow in bounds, if you'll stay in bounds, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals, which is translated Yahweh Rapha. And healing is a funny thing. Because healing is what we want, right? Now, when I was a kid, um, I didn't realize my mom was going to be here this, this week. It kind of worked out really well or badly, depending on your perspective. So, when I was a kid, there was this guy on TV named Ernest Ainsley. And he came on Saturday morning, my brother and I just were just infatuated with him. And so there's one day he comes in and the guy says, if you put your hands on the TV, you'll be healed of whatever it is. And I'm not a big believer in all that. I'm just telling you right now, I don't believe in any of that, but that's between me and the Lord. But my brother and I put our hands on the TV. My dad removed us from the TV forcibly, physically, and not gently. And he said, that's not how we roll in this house. But healing strikes a chord because healing is what we want. And I don't, I'm not talking about faith healer kind of healing. I'm talking about the kind of healing we deal with every day. Healing from our pain. Healing from our suffering. Healing from our circumstances. Sometimes it is physical healing from, you know, you're sick and you just, you're desperate and you just pray, God, I've done everything. I'm in your hands. And God reveals to us that He is the one who heals. This is what the psalmist says. This is what David says in Psalm 103. Let all that I am praise the Lord May I never forget the good things He does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Now, He didn't heal everything. Okay? He, in 147, He heals the brokenhearted, bandages their wounds. Here's what I'm saying. When life hangs in the balance, there's one place to turn, and that's Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals. Because here's what I know. And I'll bet you know this too. There are some things for ibuprofen can't fix. There are some things a trip to the doctor can't fix. There are some things that people, no matter how well-meaning they are, can't fix. There are things that we face in life that people are incapable of handling. And the only place to turn is to God. Because here's what we all know. Suffering is a real thing. Tragedy is a real thing. Devastating circumstances a real thing. Some of us are going through some stuff right now, and you know what I'm talking about. And relief cannot be found on this planet. There's only one place to turn. Which, honestly, should be the first place we turn anyway. And that is to God. And here's the thing. I'll bet you, this is for some of you, this is your story. You've seen God heal someone who is sick. And you've seen God not. You've seen God heal or amend a relationship, and you've seen God not. You've seen God intervene in devastating circumstances and make them better. And you've seen the circumstances not get any better. You've seen God deal with unforeseen tragedy and we've seen unforeseen tragedies that happen all the time. Just because things work out doesn't mean it was God intervened and made it better because God intervenes even when things don't work out the way we want. God always intervenes in our life. Always does. This is what uh, we see in the Jer- book of Jeremiah. It says this, I will give back your health, and I'll heal your wounds, says the Lord. Matthew 4.24 says this. It's talking about Jesus. 
news about him, about Jesus, spread as far as Syria because Jesus was going around healing people, healing diseases and raising the dead and doing all this stuff. And people soon began to bring in all to him all who were sick, whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Here's the deal. We look in the Bible and we see Jesus healed all kinds of people. But if you look in the Bible, Jesus didn't heal everybody. There are three recorded resurrections of the dead other than Jesus in the Bible where He raised the dead. He met a whole lot of other families who lost people. So let me say it again. Sometimes when things don't go the way we want, we think it's because God didn't intervene. The truth is God always intervenes. Sometimes our circumstances change and sometimes they don't. Sometimes things get better and sometimes they don't. And here's the deal. Because when it comes to how God heals, how God intervenes in our life, there's a mystery that is not quantifiable. If anyone ever writes a book and says, I figured God out, don't buy the book because this whole every word will be a lie. If anyone ever writes a book and says, I can explain God's love, don't just don't bother. Because it's not quantifiable. There's no explanation for why God moves and why God doesn't. In my life, I've seen God move in amazing ways, and I've seen God move in amazing ways, and sometimes things got really good, and sometimes they didn't. But I always saw God move. Every death is not a tragedy. Every sickness doesn't end in death. There's a mystery to how God heals and the way He moves. And so, we do one of two things. Most of us do. One of the things we do is we start, well, maybe I'm the problem. I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying things aren't getting any better. This relationship's not getting better. I'm trying. I'm working at it. My circumstances aren't getting any better. I'm getting sicker by the minute. So maybe I'm the problem. Right? Been there? Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I haven't prayed enough. Maybe I don't pray hard enough. Maybe I don't pray long enough. Maybe my faith isn't strong enough. And if I just pray harder, pray longer, have more faith, things will get better. And so we dive into that world. And sometimes things don't get better. And so we pray harder and we pray longer and, and we read our Bible more and we just, you know, we keep saying that, you know, God's got this, God's got this. But after a while, we start going, I think God's got this. I hope God's got this. I'm not so sure God's got this. And after a while, maybe you get to the point where you say, you know what? It's not my fault. It's, it's not my fault. So if it's not my fault, there's only one other person that can be, so it must be God's fault. This is not my problem. This is God's problem. And if you've ever been mad at God, don't feel bad about that. Because you're in good company. If you've ever been disappointed in how God moves, don't feel awful. You're in good company. If you've ever been frustrated with that God's not doing what you want in your life, don't feel bad. You're in good company. But here's the rub. You still have to trust God with your circumstances. Here's what happens. Pain runs deepest when we come face to face with suffering. That's just the truth. That's, that's just reality. When our pain runs deepest, 
is when we are face to face with our own suffering. And we come face to face with suffering, there's nowhere else to go. And all we want is for things to get better. That's all we want. We just want things to be better. I've been there. I'll be there again. Some of you are there now. If you haven't been there, you will be there. Sometimes we just think if things get just a little better, just get through tomorrow. So this is what David had to say. By the way, if you're ever in a place, at a dark place, and, you're, and you just are trying to figure what's going on in your relationship with God, pull the book of Psalms out and just start reading. Just, just start reading through Psalms. These are the words of, the, of a man after God's own heart. Okay, check this out. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? David's pretty frustrated. Let's keep going. Look, 2044 Psalm. Wake up, Lord. That's bold right there. That's bold. Wake up, oh Lord. Why do you sleep? Get up. Do not reject us forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and our oppression? That's the man after God's own heart saying to God, uh, you're not cutting it right now. You know what's going on in his life? Pain and suffering are on a collision course. His pain was face to face with his suffering. And he lashed out to God. So if you've ever lashed out to God, you and David have something in common. And you have something in common with your preacher. Because I've done it more times than I care to admit. In the book of Job, we see this, this godly man who did nothing wrong except get on the wrong side of Satan. And Satan wanted to prove to God that Job, that his obedience and faithfulness was because God had blessed him. Take it away. And, and, and God allowed Satan... Now, this is real troubling for a lot of people. God allowed Satan to do anything he wanted to Job short of taking his life. You know how miserable you can get before you die? And Job just hung in there and hung in there. But finally he got to this point where he says this in Job chapter 10. Why did you deliver me from my mother's womb? Why didn't you just let me die at birth? In other words, Job got to the point where he said, man, I'd been better off if I'd never been born. This is what the, the Apostle Paul said, the great church planner who had this Something going on in his life. We don't really know what it was. There's all kinds of speculation. The Bible doesn't say, so I'm not even going to try to speculate. But it was something that was a problem in his life. And this is what Paul, the great, who wrote most of the New Testament, says. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away, whatever this is. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And those are words nobody wants to hear. My power works best in weakness. Not Abraham, not Moses, not Jacob, not Job, not David, not Peter, not Paul, not John, not James, not you, not me. My power works best in your weakness. Because it is in our weakness that we get to the point where we finally go, you know what? All I have is God. Sometimes you've got to hit the floor before you can get up. And for some people, in their walk with God, they have to hit the floor. And Paul had to hit the floor. 
He did it on a couple of occasions. And after he hit the floor, and he was, and he was telling the, the church in, you know, in Corinth all these problems, that I just begged the Lord to take this away, and the Lord wouldn't do it. But then he said this. So now I boast, I'm, I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul realized when he is weakest, God is strongest in his life. Doesn't mean you should sit around and praying for bad stuff to happen. It's not what I'm saying. I don't do that. I wouldn't encourage you to do that. And so then we come face to face with something else. Okay, so it's not my fault necessarily, and it's not God's fault necessarily. But sometimes my circumstances are my fault. Sometimes I messed up. Sometimes I went too far. Sometimes I did something I wasn't supposed to do. I get that God's gonna wants to, to bring healing in my in my circumstances when, when life is unfair, when things are horrible going on, but but man, but when it's my fault, and I think that's our greatest struggle. Because the truth is, for most of us, I'm gonna guess, for me, I know for a fact, a lot of my suffering is my own fault. It's it's my fault. Not all of it. A lot. So this is what God said through the prophet Isaiah. When, when, when the Israelites had just fallen so far that he was just done. This is what he says in the book of Isaiah, verse 50, in chapter 57. He says this. You worship your idols with great passion beneath the oaks and under every green tree. You sacrifice your children down the valleys among the jagged rocks in the cliff. Yes, you read that right. Sacrifice your kids. They, they had... The northern kingdom of Israel had really messed up. Your gods are the smooth stones in the valleys. You worship them with liquid offerings and grain offerings. They, not I, are your inheritance. Do you think all this makes me happy? Verse 7. You have committed adultery on every high mountain. There you have worshipped idols and have been unfaithful to me. God says through the prophet Isaiah to the northern kingdom of Israel, you've really messed up bad. You have done unspeakable things. Your misery is all your fault. And it was. Not a single king in the northern kingdom followed the Lord. Not one. Not, not one. Not a single time was there a, were there seasons or years where God was blessing the northern kingdom of Israel because they were faithful. Not a year. Not a season. They spent decades piling into their own misery. And the Lord said through Isaiah, this is all on you. But then He said this. Verse 17 and 18. I was angry. So I punished these greedy people. I withdrew from them. But they kept going on their own stubborn way. In other words, I punished them, I pulled back, and they kept doing what they were going to do. But then He says this, verse 18. I have seen what they do, but I will heal them anyway. Now let that sink in for a second. I have seen all the idiotic stuff you've done. You have rebelled, but I'm still going to heal you. I will heal them anyway. I will lead them. I will comfort those who mourn. So to the northern kingdom of Israel, who had, was a cesspool of sin, 
God said, I'm still with you. I'm still with you. You've turned your back on me. You've dealt, you're in this deep hole, but I'm still with you. So what does it say to us? When we feel like God can't fix what's broken because I broke it. Because it's my fault. The God who heals says, I got you. God wants to heal what's broken in your life. Relationships get broken all the time. God wants to heal them. But guess what? We have to do some work in that. We can't just sit back and wait for God to work. Get sick. God wants to heal you. We've got some things to do. We have doctors. We have things we have to do. God wants to heal. And the ultimate proof of that is when He sent Jesus into the world to die for us. Because it was the only way He could really be healed. Because we had a sin problem. And, and, and humanity was headed to hell. But Jesus came so that we could have life in heaven. So we could have forgiveness. So we could have healing. So we could have comfort. So we could have grace. So we could know what hope is. Despite what we have done, Jesus gave His life for us. That's because God is Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals. And in just a moment, we're going to have prayer and we're going to have a decision time. And there are three people that have already made a decision to, to be baptized in the Christ this morning. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know what, I just, that's what I need. That's what's, I, I just, I want to be healed. But I've never given myself to Jesus. Do me a favor. Go home wet if you have to. Because it's worth the healing forgiveness to know that you will spend eternity with Him. Let's pray. Father, we are um, thankful for Your provision, Your sufficiency. Grateful that You love us so much that You want to have this deep, personal relationship with us. That You are an immovable mountain. That You see us when we think no one's paying attention, you're always paying attention. And that's a good thing. And you want to heal what's broken in our life. And what's broken most is caused by sin. And that's why Jesus came into this door. That's why we'll have communion in just a few minutes. Because Jesus came to save us, to fix what has been broken. So Lord, for, for these uh, courageous people who've decided to uh, surrender themselves to you. We're so thankful for that. Um, for others here today, I pray that um, maybe they will take that step of faith as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.